Hi, welcome to the Jackie Always Unplugged podcast. And I've been noodling on what I wanted to talk about as we enter into the holiday season. And I've landed on pain. Yeah, fun times, huh? I mean, I got to be honest, maybe I chose that because I'm in it. But I think more so, I felt like it's during this time, during holidays, that there's this heightened sense of pain in our lives and in our world. That's when we become more acutely aware of who's not with us this year, you know, death. It's when illnesses seem to hearken more strongly to us. We have to face the physical pain of our own bodies, deal with relational ruptures and emotional distress. So yeah, pain. I know we hate pain. And yet pain is a shared human experience. And what I want to talk about today is some truths I've learned that have helped me process pain so that it didn't ruin me. Hear that, process the pain so that it didn't ruin me. It's all I kind of have to offer is truth that God spoke to me and my prayer through the Spirit is that somehow some of these learnings would be a meager offering to you during this holiday season and maybe breathe a little bit of hope and comfort upon you. Welcome to the Jackie Always Unplugged podcast, where we're having off-the-record conversations. I'm Reverend Dr. Jackie Reese, founder and president of The Marcella Project. As a pastor, preacher, and thought leader, I've walked with women of faith for decades and had thousands of conversations about what women encounter solely because they are women. At work, family, their faith, with relationships, sex, the church, their bodies, and Jesus. On this podcast, we're going to be asking hard questions, dealing with real issues, and revisiting scripture with a new lens. These conversations are going to put words to your female experience. They're going to ennoble you as Jesus intended and encourage you to bring your full self to the table. It's here we're going to reshape our view. Hello, this is Steve. I'm Jackie's husband, and I do help produce her podcast. Jackie puts a lot of time and effort into her work. She is passionate about ennobling women, as you know. It's not uncommon for me to come home and find that she's read three books that day on some particular issue. In her desire to bring simplicity and thoughtfulness and clarity to complicated issues, both in her work, shepherding women, teaching, preaching, and also in this podcast. So I'm interrupting us today for one reason. I'd like to ask you, has Jackie Always Unplugged challenged you this year? Has it encouraged you? Has her work caused you to think more deeply about an issue? Have you shared a podcast with someone and it's been encouraging to them? Then I would encourage you to go over to themarcellaproject.com and make a contribution today. Any amount matters. It's encouraging. And it does help give Jackie the space and the time and the freedom and the resources to bring to you these incredible thoughts, these incredible people through the Jackie Always Unplugged podcast. Thank you so much. Okay, well, welcome back. Yeah, this is a tough topic, but I sense we need to go there. So I'm going to start by saying I have a rule. I don't clean where I can't see. 
Um, that's why I never clean underneath my bed because I don't move my furniture, right? Like I place my furniture where it goes when I move into a place and I never move it around. I know some of you, like uh, your house is your, your, your artistic palette, not mine, like there. And I don't clean where I don't see. That's like my rule. So one time a friend of mine asked me if he could borrow my seminary books, which I had packed away underneath my bed, which I had not looked under for seven years. And so I went to get him the books and it was disgusting. There were seven years of like hair. I mean, I have a lot of hair and it comes out all the time, dust and skin flakes. It was gross. So I decided I needed to vacuum which meant I needed to move the furniture around. And instead of waiting for Steve to get home, I pushed this massive armoire with my legs, you know, sitting on the floor, and I pushed it with my legs, and I heard a pop in my back. And I didn't think much of it because I was in my late 30s. I was a runner in really good shape. Surely I was fine. The next day, Steve and I and our three kids packed our Suburban, and we drove from Texas to New York to spend the summer with my extended family. And my back hurt for sure, I, but I just figured, well, I probably pulled a muscle. And a few days after arriving in New York, I decided to go for a run. And I got about a mile out and went down to the ground. And I had to call my mom to come get me. And I spent the rest of the month icing my back on her couch. Now, please don't ask me why I didn't see a doctor. I was sure that I had just pulled a muscle. Now, when it was time to drive home from New York to Texas, I had to down a bunch of painkillers to knock me out so that I could get there. And the next day, I went to a doctor, and lo and behold, it turns out I had two broken bones in my back. And that is why it hurt so much. Now, the reason I tell you this story is because that was the beginning of nine long years of icing, carrying heating pads to staffing meetings, laying on the couch while doing work, restricting my movements, visiting doctors, chiropractors, acupunctures, you get the point. In the beginning of all of this, I was at war with my body. I mean, I think I was at war in the first 10 years, but the last couple decades, I've been on a journey to understand why God gave us bodies, and in that, I've grown to become one with her. I've come to lean into and live out God -given, the God-given fact that my body is beautifully good, even when I experience physical or emotional pain. And if there's anything I want you to walk away with in this episode, as you walk through the holidays, is that God's truth is that your body is beautifully good and has what it takes to manage the pain that you're going to engage. Our bodies are beautifully good. That's kind of a hard one to swallow, isn't it? Because we actually don't believe our bodies are good, let alone beautiful, especially when we experience pain in them. Beautifully good is not what we have learned about our bodies, is it? If you live in a female body, you've learned your body is deficient it needs fixing. By the way, you learn that by the time you're a tween. Your body is a project for alteration. Think about that. You've also learned that from the church that your female bodies are dangerous. They're tempestuous to boys and men. If you live in a black body or a brown body or a fat or aging body or a body that requires help, you know, a disabled body, then you've learned that some bodies are better than other bodies. If you live in a body that's experienced abuse, then you've learned your body isn't safe. And if you live with physical pain like I did, you find yourself at war with your body instead of at one with her. 
We've learned so many things about our body, except what God says. And I'll say it really loud. God says our body is beautifully good, even when we experience pain. And we trace that truth throughout scripture, starting in Genesis chapter one, right? It's the beginning of humans and they are embodied. They aren't spirits floating around. They have bodies. Revelation tells us that we are going to have physical bodies in the new heaven and the new earth. So there must be something to God giving us bodies in both spaces where sin, fallenness isn't present. Why did God give us bodies, particularly gendered or sexual bodies? This is the question I've been chasing for decades. It's called the study of body theology. And so I have something to say about bodies in pain. But before we get to what has God showed me about pain in my body, we have to settle a fundamental truth. And that is that our bodies are good, beautifully good, even when we experience pain. We have to start with what is our body? When we experience pain, it's beautifully good. I know, I know, I know, we don't believe it. You've all heard God's cadence in Genesis chapter one, right? Where God says, let there be light and there was light and it was good. Let there be and it was and it was good, right? We hear this over and over again. And then there's a break. After he makes man, he says it's not good for man to be alone. Aloneness being the problem, knownness being the solution, and our bodies facilitate knownness. That's why being incarnate with people over Christmas or any other of the holiday seasons you're celebrating this, this um, December, January, it's a whole new thing because our bodies are now present with people that cause us emotional stress, relational ruptures, right? Like we're present with them, incarnate with them versus on the phone or distant. Yeah, knownness. It's facilitated in the body. God, then after he makes man, he proceeds to make woman, a suitable helper. Ezer Kenego is in the, is the Hebrew word. It means corresponding partner face to face, right? Her presence is an invitation for him to come out of his self and into otherness, to turn away from his aloneness and independence toward face to face relationships and the mystery of interdependence. This may seem unconnected to our bodily pain, but as we'll see later, pain is to be carried in community. It is not good for man, for woman, to be alone, scripture says. God brought woman to man, and the man responds, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And notice in the text, she never speaks. Words weren't necessary for him to come to know things about her, and also about himself. She never declared, hey, dude, I'm more like you than any other creature God made. Her bodily presence informed him. Her body spoke without words. See, our bodies are the agency in which we become known. And they are what enables us to carry out God's work on earth, to rule, subdue, and fill the earth, to create civilization. See, Genesis affirms that our bodies are the earth and the earth and everything in it, God said, is very good. It also affirms that we've been created in the image of God. And these are the two signposts, right, provided about the meaning of the body. Later in the Psalms, we hear David declaring something very similar when he says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made, Psalm 139, verse 14. And I know, I know we've heard it a million times, right? But here I am to say that if you can't stand in front of a mirror naked and say, whoa, check me out, then you do not understand what David is saying when he said, 
I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Paul continues this idea in several of his epistles. He even uses the body as a metaphor for the church. But perhaps the most obvious place he talks about the beautifully good body is in 1 Corinthians 6.19, where he says, Our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Do you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought by a price. Therefore, honor God with your body, Paul says. And in the context of this passage, Paul was saying that we should keep our body from sexual sin. But Paul was saying way more than that. He's saying Christ followers are now the place where God's presence dwells. Where when Paul's audience heard the word temple, they would have immediately thought of the Exodus, the portable tabernacle, the permanent temple in Jerusalem. Both the tabernacle and later the temple were places where God's presence dwelled. The design of the tabernacle and the temple were God's idea, his initiative. They were places that testified to the character of God. They displayed God's wealth and beauty. The projects involved expensive materials designed in such a way to create a great piece of artwork. And that sounds like something else that Paul said in Ephesians 2.10, right? We are God's masterpiece. You, in your body, are a one-of-a-kind, never-to-be-seen-again image bearer. And I fear when we hear these things about ourselves in Scripture, we forget it includes our body. We tend to be like the Gnostics in Paul's day, spiritualizing everything. You know, the Gnostics believed the material world was bad, i.e. the body. And the the spiritual world was good, i.e. the soul. And this kind of thinking shows up when we make statements like, it's mind over matter, right? Have you heard people say that when you're in pain? It's just mind over matter. Well, maybe it's not because the mind is matter. That's another point. Or like the one I said to my daughter on her first day of kindergarten. We were walking to school and she's wearing this little dress that's swaying along the way. And she looked up to me and said, I'm beautiful, aren't I, mommy? And I quickly responded, it's not what's on the outside, it's what's on the inside that mattered. And that's when the spirit thunked me and said, if that's true, well, why do you turn around if you're, to see if your butt looks good in a new pair of jeans, Jackie? And that push from the spirit is what put me on this trajectory of asking, why did you give us bodies? What are our bodies all about, God? And I think that we, like the Gnostics, tend to think the soul is important, but the body is bad. But not Paul. See, he knew that that kind of dualistic thinking challenged the very heart of the gospel because Jesus came in a physical body and he died in a body and he was raised in his physical body. And we, too, experience life in our bodies And one day, we will be physically, bodily resurrected. See, Paul argued that we as a people are an embodied people. We're God's great work of art, our bodies, souls, personalities, all of it. We are bodies. Everything that happens to us happens to our bodies. Hilary McBride, who I think is probably the leading um, scholar on issues of embodiment for Christians right now, she holds a PhD in counseling psychology And is the author of a book called The Wisdom of Your Body. And in it, she says this. The body is where life happens, both the beautiful and the painful, our individuality and our relationships, the now and the past. But many of us have forgotten ourselves as bodies. She goes on to say, most of us forget about our bodies until pain, aging, illness, trauma, incarceration, or impending death 
brings it to the fore. Now, here's the thing. I don't like pain, but God designed our beautiful bodies, our beautifully good bodies, to tell us when something's wrong. Again, I reference McBride. She says, pain itself does not occur at the site of the injury in the tissues. What you experience as pain is the end result of a set of messages sent via nerve endings throughout your body to your spinal cord and up your brainstem to a series of structures in the middle of your brain. The message says that there is an injury or something you need to pay attention to. Think about that. It's a gift. Pain tells us what to pay attention to. Pain means the body has activated the appropriate systems to respond and fight for your healing. Think about that. In 2010, I almost stroked out twice. And each time they rushed me to the emergency room and administered something quickly to bring, it, bring my high blood pressure down. And later on one of my many visits to my back doctor, he looked me square in the face and bluntly said, Jackie, I don't know what you're doing, but if you don't stop, you're going to die. You see, my back had developed arthritis. I had three degenerative discs, one totally bone on bone. I had continued to battle chronic pain while I was getting a doctorate, serving on staff at a mega church. At the same time, my dad went nuts, tried to kill my sister on her wedding day. My siblings and I were working to help my mom divorce my dad. They lost their companies. My, my husband was in the middle of dealing with a benign brain tumor. Our son was doing drugs and we had to kick him out. And he ended up going to military school. The hardest things I've ever done all the while trying to stay married and manage a home. Anyone else in here living that kind of life? Yeah. Yeah, we are. And pain was telling me, pay attention, Jackie. Something is happening. Things are out of control. It was like my body, because I wouldn't, I was rationalizing it away. And oh, my body's going, alert, alert, system overdrive. And I just kept pushing beyond my maximum capacity. And some of you are doing the very same thing. And our world rewards it, doesn't they? Yes. We're rewarded for that kind of behavior. Rebecca Tazing, I'm sure I did not get her last name right, but she received her PhD in creative nonfiction and disability studies. And in her memoir, Sitting Pretty, The View from My Ordinary Disabled Body, she says this. Those who don't work as many hours, who don't produce as much, whatever that means, whose wages are lower or gasp or rely on others to survive, we categorize as a drain or a burden. This ableist model tells us that the human body is a work machine whose value is determined by its production, like a toaster that can toast six slices of bread instead of just the usual two. The more you do, the more hours of overtime you work, the less sleep you get, the more duties you fulfill, the faster you get the work done, the less help you're required, the more you're worth. Yeah, there's some truth to that, isn't it? I don't like pain, but it alerted me, right? It was telling me, hey, some things are way off kilter. One of the things it was letting me know is that unlike my God, I actually have some limitations, right? Like I'm not God who's all powerful and all knowing. I can't be everything to everyone, everywhere for every moment. We cannot, but we sure do try. And our bodies say, hold on, pain alert, pain alert, limitations sometimes even messy limitations. 
See, physical, emotional, relational pain makes us come to terms with our humanness, our limitations, our mortality, and quite frankly, it asks us what we think about our worth. Where have we placed our worth? We so easily let the world tell us that our, what our worth is, don't we? Like pain can strip us from that, from those idols, right? It takes those idols away, it leaves us raw, brings us back home to where our worth really is found and defined in God and by God alone. McBride goes on to write, that is something comforting, sometimes healing and sometimes a reminder that you do not have to keep trying to earn love. You can access it always. And if the body is sacred without condition, meaning that not just male bodies, white bodies, non-disabled bodies, or thin bodies are sacred, although those deserve to be treated as sacred too, then your body and the body of your neighbor deserves to be treated as sacred as well. When you know this deep down in your bones, you're also more likely to challenge any social systems, idea, behavior, or systems that try to tell you otherwise. Yeah, so this holiday season, can you see that your body, when it's screaming things about pain, relational, emotional, physical, can you see that you can access God's love, that you don't have to earn it by muscling it up? See, pain reduced my productivity, but it did not define my worth. And, and, and learning that through pain has changed how I do my ministry and my life. You see, I used to stand before thousands and preach, and now I prefer standing before 25 to 40 women. I used to schedule weekend conferences butted up against my work-long week at the church, and I took calls all night, all hours of the night. My husband and I were what I call triage pastors, and I squeezed my doctoral work in the middle of any available two minutes between meetings, and my body kept the score. And now I no longer will allow myself to run like I'm a machine. Pain taught me to listen to my body, not to push beyond my capacity, to be kind and gentle to my body. You know, like the spiritual gifts that we try to extend to everybody else. What if we actually ask the spirit to help us extend them to ourselves, right? Pain helped me to humbly accept my limitations, to prioritize what's important, who gets my energy, who gets my time, who gets my, uh, my limited breaths, Pain taught me to adapt, adjust, and let go. And now when I work with younger female women who minister, one of my very first questions is, how is your body? What's she saying to you? They usually respond with how much weight they've gained. And I said, I'm not asking about your weight. I don't care about your weight. So how's your body? What's she saying to you? That's a question we might want to be asking ourselves throughout this holiday season. Is she alerting you to something? I decided a long while back that if I ever got another tat, I'd get it at Razooks. Um, Razooks is a family business that's run in the old city of Jerusalem. It's in the World Book of Records as the oldest tattoo parlor. 700 years, 27 generations. And yeah, I decided if I ever go back to Jerusalem, that's where I'm getting my tattoo. And I knew what it was going to be. The word with, W-I-T-H, with. See, I've been on a journey of letting go of some beliefs inherited in my conservative evangelical tradition. 
I've been remodeling the theological palace I built for my King Jesus. Letting go of beliefs can be disruptive and disturbing. The shift is scary. And I know many of you know of what I speak. But interesting, throughout my remodeling journey, one thing has remained the same. It might be the only thing. It's the foundational truth that keeps pain from ruining me. I know, like I've always known, that God is with me. Not only does he dwell within temple, remember, but he sits beside, like he did the woman at the well. He sat and talked as if there was nowhere else to go with. And when I say that, I'm not saying that I always feel like God is with me. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I do. But even when I don't, truth says he's there, right? With. Deuteronomy 31.8 says, The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. I hope you can hold on to that during the holiday season. There's the famous Psalm 23.4 that says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Isaiah 41.10 says, do not fear for I am with you. And Isaiah 43.2 says, when you go through the deep waters, notice God says, when you go through the deep waters, this is not a trouble free life. Jesus told us in this world, we will have trouble. I like that Jesus is honest. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. This is what God is saying to us as we navigate emotional pain, relational pain, physical pain. Remember how I shared about those years of massive stress that almost led to a stroke? It was a season of real physical, emotional, relational pain. By the way, um, brain science reveals that when you experience relational or emotional pain, you experience it in the brain as if you're experiencing physical pain, like you've been in a car accident. So... Pain is pain, right? Like, don't think that emotional pain or relational pain is any less valuable than if you got in a car accident and had to go to the hospital, right? And I was in that season of pain where there was just one punch after another, and many of you know what I'm talking about. And one night, I just couldn't take it anymore, and I cried out to Jesus because pain does that. It makes us cry out. And I just said, I can't do this anymore, Jesus. And Isaiah 43 popped up like a movie scene in my head. Um, some of you might call it a vision. I'll just call it a movie scene so some of you don't freak out. But in this movie scene, I was in this raging river where the water was up to my nostrils. Not my chest, not my chin, nostrils. And I was about to drown. And I was experiencing this terror of being in the middle of this raging river. And suddenly... Jesus showed up in the water and he said, I see you and I'm with you. And somehow his presence in a way that I cannot explain got me to the other side of the river. And I ended up on the bank, you know, just breathing and trying to catch my breath. I didn't have enough energy to even climb up the bank, mind you, just laying there, but on the other side alive. And I wish I could explain it or prove it, but this truth about God's presence with us because sometimes I hear myself say it and I think, it sounds nutty, Jackie. And yet I can't deny what I experienced. You know, the most important things we know come by way of personal, relational knowing. And what I know that I know is that God stoops and sits with us. 
We cry out, the pain is too much, and God says, I know. I know. Recently, I had some EMDR work done to process some childhood abuse and present situations that were triggering that abuse. It's so funny to even use the word triggering because I know the word is overused right now. And when I was going through these events, I didn't even know that what was happening to me was that I was being triggered. (laughs) But something was happening in my marriage that was feeling very similar to my childhood abuse. And I started to do this really weird thing. Like I just shut down. Like I froze for several days, almost disassociating or disassociating with my body. I, could, I was saying to myself, Jackie, get back inside your body. What are you doing? What's happening? And it turns out I was being triggered and my body kicked into fight, flight, or freeze, right? It's what the body does when it's, in, when it's scared. It's, it's, it's a mechanism God put in our body to save us when we are in danger. You know, your body knows. Our body knows how to fight for us, to protect us. So yeah, I was having these experiences. I didn't know what I was experiencing. So I went to a counselor and she took me through some EMDR work. And I thought it was really fascinating. If some of you have never done it, you've got to try it if you need to have that kind of work done. I mean, the whole time she's taking me through this, I'm I'm having to stay in the process because I wanted to step out and go, this is fascinating what's happening here. And like study it instead of like, oh, you're the client, stay in the process, stay in the game, you know? So very funny. Um, Anyway, my counselor kept asking me to share the experience that created the trigger. And then she'd ask me where Jesus was in the story. And I would describe the scene. And at one point she said, okay, so you're having this sense of freezing and disassociating. What, tell me what that looks like. And so I described how I felt like I was in this deep, dark cave. It was really, really dark. And then she goes, okay, so is Jesus there? And I'm like, well, yes, he is. He's built a fire and he's sitting next to this fire roasting marshmallows. I don't even like marshmallows, but that really wasn't the point. He's sitting by the fire and he's got like all day long, all week long until I'm ready. There was no like judgment that I was in this place, that I was in this state. It wasn't like he said, bucket up or mind over matter. He was just there, just waiting, just sitting. Why is he sitting? Because it's not good for humans to be alone. And so God literally stoops and sits calmly holding us, oozing on us his extravagant love, present in the pain. At this stage of my faith journey, I think at least for right now, perhaps the most quintessential way I can reflect God, breathe God into this world is by being present with others. My beautifully good body stooping beside with It was the one thing that wasn't good in the garden, aloneness. Turns out being known to be seen can bring relief to the pain we carry. Did you know that? Being known, being seen can bring relief to the pain we carry. 2 Corinthians 1.4 says, We who've been comforted by God are to comfort. The word is parkale. We're to comfort others. That's the word used by the Spirit and John, about the Spirit in John chapter 14 through 16 the spirit of Christ that dwells within us. We are called to percolate others, to be with. God is most powerfully experienced, not in ideas and proclamations, but in presence. Let me say that again. God is most powerfully experienced, not in ideas and proclamations, but in presence. 
We know that kids who experience trauma, like a school shooting, are likelier to end up with substance abuse or PTSD, depending on who's with them, who's present, right? If they have a lack of support system, Richard Rohr, a Franciscan theologian, says pain that is not transformed is transferred. When we leave people alone in their pain, their alienation becomes the precondition for radicalization, and I'd add substance abuse and PTSD. And what we're learning is showing up and being fully present can change the trajectory of those who've experienced trauma. And what that means is when we are in pain, we not only do we need to engage in self-care, but we also need to engage in collective care. Or as Valerie Carr says, squad care. I love that term. She said squad care, a way to be in relationship with people committed to caring for one another. Squad care reminds us that there is no shame in reaching for each other and insists the imperative rests not with the individual, but with the community. Our job is to have each other's back. Who's your squad care as you go into these holidays? Who can you reach out to and help carry some of the pain that you're going to experience? See, pain reminds us, it begs us to reject the American ideal that we were made to be independent. It is not good for humans to be alone, God said. We were made to be interdependent. Pain drives us to ask for help, to let others carry us. It's a very uncomfortable posture for most of us. I know. I feel that same way. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not saying that the presence of others will always heal the pain. Often the pain still exists. Mine has. But what I do know is Galatians 6.2 says that when we carry one another's burdens, and there's science has found that when we do that, we actually take some of that person's pain upon ourselves. We literally carry it. See, we show up not because we can fix it. We know better. The truth is, some things in life can't be fixed. They can only be carried, as Galatians has reminded us. A few years back, I was on my way to teaching a women's Bible study when my son Hampton called. And I could tell by his voice something was wrong, like very wrong. And he proceeded to tell me that his friend Kate, one of his friends from grad school, had been stabbed. A young man high on drugs broke into her apartment and stabbed her over 100 times. And Kate was rushed to the hospital with serious wounds, like life-on-the-line serious wounds. And Hampton and his three other roommates were notified immediately, and they went to the hospital. And they weren't allowed in Kate's room because they weren't family. And they stayed there for hours on hours until finally Hampton's roommates suggested they head back home. So Hampton had just dropped off his other roommates when he called me. And he told me, Mom, I'm not okay. I am not okay with with Kate being alone. I can't have her wake up alone in the room. And then he asked me this question. He said, mom, should I lie and tell him I'm her relative? Which I almost died because like Hampton has never asked me if it was okay if he lied. He lied all the time, right? And here I am, Pastor Jackie, and I'm like, absolutely you're going to lie and tell him that you're her relative from California who just got into town. He stayed with Kate for a whole month. I mean, he moved in. Her family didn't show up. Hampton did. He moved in. Her body may be struggling to live, but she was not going to struggle alone because God said it's not good for humans to be alone. As one author says, there's nothing romantic about suffering, but when others are present to suffering, that presence begins to tend to our wounds. 
Now, don't get me wrong. Hampton kicked into fixing things too, right? Like he set up a GoFundMe for her hospital expenses and made sure the support system was covering things for Kate. He even bought her boxing gloves and hung them up and said, Kate, you're going to fight for your life and you're going to win. And I like pain. But I've learned to believe that our bodies are beautifully good even when we experience it. Our beautifully good bodies and all their limitations and pain allows us to experience the divine presence and represent God's divine presence to others. Our very bodily presence helps others process their pain so it doesn't ruin them. Yeah. So I wanted us to enter into this season holding on to the very fact that our bodies are beautifully good even in the pain. And we're going to need to stand on that truth during this season. We're going to have to be incarnate and real and present, sitting in our pain, sitting with others in their pain, calling out on Jesus in our pain, letting him sit with us. Lord, in the season when we're experiencing all kinds of knotted up needs, help us. By your grace, may we be kind to ourselves like you are kind to us. Emmanuel, God with us. Hey, if you've enjoyed this conversation, then hop on over to themarcellaproject.com and sign up for our email or check out some of our other resources. You can also find me on the Marcella Project Facebook page or on every other platform of social media as Jackie Reese, R-O-E-S-E. Have a great day.